If this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart. I'm one of the pastors, and I usually do a bro- the bulk of the preaching. However, last week I was gone with our junior high and high school students. Believe it or not, we have people here that age. Um, and we were up in Flagstaff for um, our retreat that we got a chance. To, I got a chance to be with them. We got a chance to visit Redemption Flagstaff and see Vince and his team, which was a lot of fun. Um, and just kind of just with that, just kind of an update on kind of where we are as Redemption as a whole. Uh, we talk about how we're one church, multiple congregations, six here in the valley, and one in Flagstaff and one in Tucson. Starting in two weeks, so two weeks from today will be the first launch service of an actual congregation of Redemption Peoria. And so when you guys think about it, be praying for Sean Myers and his family and, and, and the team of people that will be in uh, Redemption Peoria. And then last week in Arcadia, they announced to the Arcadia congregation that one of their elders is beginning the process of gathering people to start what will God willingly become Redemption South Scottsdale. And so if you are in that area and you're going, hey, I don't want to drive down the temp anymore. I kind of like South Scottsdale, whatever. If that's you, um, you should go online to redemptionaz.com, and then there's information on there how you can go to the information meeting and hear more of Sean Mortensen, different than Sean Myers. Arcadia had a lot of Sean's, and, um, and then they're getting rid of them now. And so that <laughs> here's Sean Mortensen's heart and what God's doing through them, and um, again, God willing, the church plant. Now, I want to explain the difference. When I say Redemption Peoria is being launched, Redemption Peoria is going to be a service, and they're ready to go up and running. Redemption South Scottsdale is just gathering people to do the work of church planning. And I say that because some people go, oh, cool, next Sunday I'm going to show up to Redemption South Scottsdale. That'd be amazing, but you wouldn't find it. Um, and so, so just it, go online and you can find information about it. So that's a little bit about redemption. If you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, that's where we're going to be at tonight and this morning. And so 2 um, <laughs> Corinthians uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It's been a while since I've been preaching here. I've got to get back in the, in the rhythm. So um, let me just address some things. We've been going through this series called Spiritual Rhythms. And the reason why we were going through the rhythms, we're saying what are the daily, weekly things that we need to do as Christians in order for us to grow into and express the grace of God that's been extended to us uh, by Christ. And so week one, we looked at rest and Jesus' invitation to us to be able to find rest in him. And then week two, Jim came and he talked about listening. And that's God's word and then also prayer. And how Jim talked about how prayer and God's word are basically two ears to the heart in which we can address God and hear from God. And then next week, we're going to be talking about witness. What does it look like for us to share our faith? Which I'm really looking forward to that. And I know we only have two morning services. Make sure you're here. Um, this is this evangelism part of what we do is something we're really going to press into as a church this year. And so make sure you're here to hear that. And then today, we're talking about the rhythm of giving. What does it look like to give? Let me, let me acknowledge a few things. There are plenty of you who are here right now who are going, I don't go to church. I hate going to church. Whenever I go to church, the pastor's talking about money. And then you show up today um, after a long time going to church, and, and, and we're talking about money. So we're just going to try not to disappoint you and talk about money, since that's what you like, right? Um, and, but I do want to say this in acknowledging uh, just, just the reality of this, all right? And this is from my own heart. About six to eight months ago, you do these recalibrations of your own life, and especially for, for me as a pastor personally, where you look and you say, God, what areas of my life am I, am I slacking? What area of my life where I'm, I'm not fearing God in a reverential way? And one of the areas that was very, very clear to me was this, this topic of money. Right? You know, when you become a pastor, you, you promise to people and you promise to God that you're going to teach the whole counsel of Scripture. That's everything that the Bible talks about. 
And we've tackled some hard things over the past couple of years. We've talked about sexuality and homosexuality and God's wrath and, and judgment and predestination and election, like really hard things that no one wants to preach about. Um, and, but the one area that I felt like we've been weak on, it's because I'm weak on personally, is, is money. And it's not that I'm, I'm weak on understanding what God says about it. It's just hard for me to communicate it to people. And here's why. Most of us have been in environments where you're guilted into giving money. God's going to come after you if you don't give money. Um, and, and so it just becomes like a thing that we don't do. Um, you've been to churches before where every week, and this is not a dig on these churches. It's just going um, where the plates are passed all the time and you feel guilty because you don't have anything to put in the plate. And I remember like as, even as a kid going to church, like, I don't got anything. You know, throw a now, a now and Later or Jolly Rancher or something in there and, you know. <laughs> pastor's breath was kind of kicking one day anyway, so it'd probably be good for him. And, and, uh, and they're just, it's just the weirdness of it. Now, the part that's not good about that is that when, if you'd ask me, what are areas in your life where you have spiritually seen God move and your growth and development? I would say when it comes to me learning how to give. Um, early on as a Christian, I had a guy tell me who loves me deeply and said, hey, I'll, I'll know that you're all in is when two areas of your life can come under the lordship of, life, uh, of the Lord. And that's what you do with sex and what you do with money. And I said, you know, when I got baptized, the Lord said he didn't care about those things. He's, he, he, <laughs> he didn't. Um, but there was a reality because those are two areas that go, man, I, you know, I'll, I'll listen to everything God says, but those two areas, you know, just those are hard areas. And you know what? We don't talk about that to people. Like, we don't talk about it out loud um, and so forth. And so it, it's something that when you do bring those things under the Lordship of Christ, they begin to show your commitment to Christ and so forth. And so with that, four different people that I know, at least, at least four different people that we address in something like this. One, some of you are here, you're going, I'm not a Christian. By my own words, I don't follow Jesus. And I would say for you, you don't have to worry about giving anything. We say this every week. Um, get to know the giver in Christ. I think that's what matters most. And then there's other three people. Uh, one is uh, you're a Christian and you go, I don't give. I don't give to the church. I never wanted to give to the church. No big deal. Who cares? And I would say, um, thanks for the attitude. And then um, <laughs> hopefully that you could, you could hear something today. And then there's people who go, I give. I know the, the Bible teaches about giving. And, and um, this is something I do. And, and hopefully today would be just uh, somewhat of reinforcing or encouraging you and so forth. And then there's a group, especially with a congregation like ours, with newer Christians and younger Christians going, I don't know what the Bible teaches. Like, I kind of understand that you're supposed to give, you're supposed to kind of tip God or something like that. <laughs> but I've never really, really learned, and hopefully in teaching today we can be able to address all four different types of people that are here. And so for the sake of structure, where we're going to go is I'm gonna, we're going to look at three postures of giving when it comes to these rhythms of giving. Three postures. One is being a person who gives cheerfully. And another is a posture of a person who gives sacrificially, and the third is gives regularly. So cheerfully, sacrificially, and regularly. Would you guys do me a favor? Bow your heads. And as you bow your heads, just real quick, before you bow your heads, um, let's pray. And I pray before every message, but just pray. And for you, if you're, if you're here and you're, you're with your spouse, pray what God would be speaking to you both as a couple when it comes to this area. And, and, and if you can, just, just grab the hand of your spouse. And if you're, if you're not married, just put your hands like this. And... Um, <laughs> And honestly, if you're not married, just pray and ask God what he's teaching to you in this particular area, and then let, let the word of God begin to wash over so it's not just the words of a pastor, but it's God's word through his Holy Spirit. So now, bow your heads, and let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the grace of Jesus Christ, which has been freely um, received, Lord, by us, but it costs you um, your life, um, Christ, and, and it's given us life. That's the good news, Lord. 
upon everything else, Lord, in which we rest our entire lives, Lord, is the grace that's been given to us. As we talk about money, as we talk about our time, as our talent, or anything we have, Lord, help us to see you as the owner of all things. God, I pray that you'd remove me, God, and, um, and what we can hear from you, and that you'd bring about conviction and joy and encouragement to your people in this particular area. We thank you for the grace again. In Christ's name, amen. So when I was uh, brought freshman, sophomore, sophomore in college, I figured that I wanted to become an elementary school teacher. And so I was in a major in education. And then upon majoring in education, I knew that I would have to learn how to speak in front of people. And so one of the electives that you could take was a communication class at ASU called COM 101. Um, And then this public speaking class, uh, you had to do a few speeches. And one of the speeches or talks was an informative speech, which was basically an informative speech. You guys get it. And so... Um, different people would get up and they would talk about something, and I pulled a total jock move, and like, my, my informative speech was how to tackle, and so I gave four points. You gotta dip your hips, you gotta you know, shoot your hips, and you gotta wrap up your arms, and then run, right? And then I demonstrated, and the teacher's like, I don't like that. And so <laughs> after that, there was, a, there was a gal who came after me who taught about tipping, and she says, if anybody's not in the restaurant industry, this is something you need to know. And as she communicated and talked, I just sunk deeper and deeper into my chair because I never knew about tipping. And the reality of it is I hadn't really tipped before, right? And all you guys in the restaurant industry, I repented of this since. Just, just give, me some, give me some grace here. And she's talking and talking about, you know, how much they make and how it's below minimum wage and what a tip does and what it feels like to them when someone doesn't tip. And I wasn't a Christian or anything, so it wasn't the Holy Spirit moving me. I was just a human. And I was just going like, that's not right. I'm guilty. I remember going up to her, apologizing, like, hey, if I have a couple extra dollars, I usually give it. And I hadn't tipped for a long time. And she's like, well, you can can just give it all to me now and make it up, right? (laughs) But the, 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 the point in it was I didn't grow up learning how to tip, right? We, we didn't have much as a family. We didn't go. I don't ever recall going out to a restaurant with my family and we would leave a tip. Like where we would go out to, and it was a big deal, was we'd go to Sizzler, right? And it was like if my mom told me at the church, like, hey, we going to Sizzler. like, we going to Sizzler. <laughs> and, and I know some of you guys like Sizzlers is janky, but I'm telling you, when you get all you can eat fried shrimp, What? <laughs> and so, so anyways, I'm sure my mom tipped or something like that, but I, it was nowhere, this is what you do. And so I was clueless until this, this, this gal gave this informative speech. And I feel like in a lot of ways, um, there are plenty of us who are going, we don't know. On, on one hand, we've been taught legalistically, we just give because God's going to get us. On the other hand, it's like, okay, God loves us in Christ, and so we don't need to do anything. And yet the Bible doesn't teach any of those and so hopefully today is not an informative message by any means because the, the goal of Christianity is not for informative message. The goal of preaching is not informative, but it's transformative and what the Holy Spirit begins to do in our life. And so as we look at these three kind of postures, right, I want to start first with the one of what does it mean to give cheerfully, to give cheerfully. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, meet me again in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, um, Paul begins to talk about giving. Um, and in this context, Paul writes to this church. It's a young church that's full of just, just young people's sins, and they have all sorts of issues, and yet Paul doesn't give up on this church because God doesn't give up on this church. In this particular context, Paul is talking about giving, primarily to people who were in Jerusalem. And so he goes and he begins to talk about giving and about what does it look like for us to give, and then that's what we'll pick up this evening, starting with verse 10. Verse 10 says this, chapter 8, verse 10. And in this matter, I give my judgment, 
this benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Here, here, here's what Paul is talking about. You have something. You've started doing it. Now I want you to continue to do it. And he's talking primarily about money. This can be applied to your talents. It can be applied to your time. But he's talking about money. And so before we even can get into what does it mean to be a cheerful giver or even sacrificially or regularly, we have to step back and go, okay, what, what, what are we doing here? What do we start at? And I want to teach you a word. And the word here is oikonomia. And this word... Oikonomia. Um, I don't usually teach you Greek words because I don't think you really need to know it in America, but oikonomia is a word that's used oftentimes throughout the Bible, and the word means manager or steward. Let me try to communicate this. So when I was looking for apartments when I got out of the dorms, and for years and years and years after that, um, I always wanted to stay in a Mark Taylor apartment complex. Never happened, but I always wanted to. Like, if you've ever stayed in a Mark Taylor apartment complex, you've ever driven by, you notice those apartment complexes are way better than all the other apartment complexes. If you own an apartment complex here, not yours, um, all the other apartment complexes they're better than, right? And so Mark Taylor's were just this nice deal. And then when you think about why they're like that and who runs it, I guarantee you no one who's ever stayed in a Mark Taylor apartment complex has ever met Mark Taylor. He exists somewhere else, and he doesn't live in an apartment. I probably that. Um, and, but you probably met a manager or a landlord. And what a manager does is a manager makes sure the grass is cut, makes sure the pools are clean, making sure that everything's fixed in your apartment, and so forth. And they can make all the changes they can do only according to the standards that's set, set by Mr. Mark Taylor. And there, there, there's a reason why when you go to most of them, they look a certain way. Because the manager is in charge. It's his co uh, complex, but only according to the standard of Mr. Mark Taylor. When it comes to the resources we have, the money we have, the intellect we have, when we are Christians, we realize we are not owners. We're not Mark Taylor, in better words. We're not God. We are managers or stewards, okonomia, of what God has given us. And what we begin to do to these things that has been given to us, that we manage, that we care for, that is ours, but not in an ownership way. We use it and steward it in such a way that begins to reflect the values, the principles, and where God is heading in his mission. And so we do these things and saying, Lord, what would you have for me to do with these resources? What would you have for me to do with this time, according to your word, your plan, and the gospel. And so when Paul now begins to enter into this church, he has the idea here that you already belong to God, and what you have belongs to God. And so what does that look like? Well, this church is already giving. And now when he says this, he says, now I want you to continue the giving. And if you read back with me in verse 10, in the latter part, the middle part, he says this, and this is a matter of, not of, of my judgment, this benefits you. That word benefits meaning it's a blessing to you. It is a joy to you that there could be joy as you begin to give. Now, some of you are going, I, 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 don't, I've, I don't know about that. Well, Paul continues here and saying you've already started grow. He's not saying you've never given. What are you doing? And I'm not saying that. We don't pick this topic because we're thinking our church is weak. Our church is a very generous church. It really is. And there's, there are people here that go above and beyond their means to give. That, that's not it. It's saying this is a discipleship issue, that God is calling us to follow him with every area. And that means the blessings flow from there. So he says, this benefits you. Another way to think about this and cheerfully give is if you um, hold your spot there and look at the, the passage to the right of it. So it's chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. To the same church, Paul says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He's saying when it comes to giving first and foremost, everything belongs to God, and we have what we have, and we give it to him in a very cheerful way. Now, oftentimes, your cheerfulness and your joy will follow your obedience. Um, one story uh, one pastor shared was uh, how he knew one of his uh, friend's daughters and wanted to set up his son on a date with this, this girl. And uh, I guess that's what pastors do. And so he set up his son with this girl, and he goes, ah, he reluctantly went to go date this girl. And then when he met her, was like, oh, my dad loves me. Um, and, and then wanted to now date her, date her, date her, date her, date her. And what started at first was like, I'm reluctantly going to do something that my dad wants me to do and realize, okay, this is for my good. Now, whether that illustration works or not, I think it's pretty hilarious. And so when it comes to, when it comes to giving, you start there, and then, and then you begin to out of obedience for who God is and what he's done for us that, and his grace in our life that we begin to give from there. And we receive that cheerful um, ability to be able to give cheerfully with joy in the Lord. And so let me, let me share a story with you. Um, so when it comes to being a cheerful giver and God being able to provide, it's acting in faith. So I emailed all the pastors and I said, hey, give me your stories about how to taught you how to give. How did you learn and what has been its benefits for you? And Tim Anderson, who's one of our pastors here, his was short and simple. He says, when we were young, um, we had young kids, we thought there's no way that we're going to be able to give to the church and then, and then be able to make our bills and everything. And so he talked to his dad about it, and his dad says, okay, why don't you start giving, and I will make up um, any shortcomings I would make up for it. And he says, the shortcomings never happen, right? That God provided. He provided. And so Tim and his wife become cheerful givers and trusting that God will provide because it ultimately comes down to trust. And so the first point there is give cheerfully. The second one is give sacrificially. And so if you're, you're back in 2 Corinthians, I want to read 11, chapter 8, 11 and 12. So Paul's continuing talking to this church. He says, so now finish doing it as well so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So when it comes to sacrificially, here's just a rule of thumb. Live below your means. Like whatever your means is, right? And your means right now may be here. It may be here. The means that you have is different than the person next to you. It's not about comparing and so forth. It's not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. So whatever your means is, this is just a rule of thumb, whether you love God or not. Live below your means, that God is saying a sacrificial giver, and Paul says this, don't give what you don't have. And he's not saying don't give at all. And so I want to be able to address a few things here that I think are just kind of bad teaching in our environment. Um, one is this, this idea of prosperity theology. And prosperity theology is this teaching, in short, that if you obey God and you have big faith, that God's going to bless you with material things upon material things. So if you give more, it'll be given back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. I mean, just, just taking scriptures over and over again. Those of you who laugh grew up in a church just like mine. Every single Sunday, it was good measure, pressed down, shaken together, run over. So man, give to your bosom. And I used to sit there going, I don't know what that means, but man, he's flowing, right? <laughs> and... That, that's not what God's saying there. And so prosperity theology, um, in a lot of ways, you, it becomes a contract and not a covenant. God, I'm going to give this to you, and I know in doing this, it's an investment. You're going to give me this. That's not, a, that's not a covenant. A covenant, what God talks about is grace. It's saying, I'm in this relationship no matter what. And so prosperity theology is not it. You don't give in order just for God to give. Now, here's what I would say. God does bless you materially. I don't want to say that there, there's no truth in that. God does bless people materially, but his blessing is not only in material ways. 
On the flip side, you have many people who grew up in families that were affluent and saw people give in such a way and go, I don't want that, and you have poverty gospel. Poverty gospel is, I know I'm godly because I don't have anything. <laughs> I've given it all away. I haven't eaten for a week. Why? Because I love Jesus, right? <laughs> and there's this, this reality, and these are people who are not necessarily born in poverty or whatnot. These are people who are intentionally making these decisions. It's almost like money is evil, and because they say, you know, money is the root of all, of all problems and sin. The Bible never says that. It's the love, the over-desire of money. money. Money is just money. It's how we steward these things, going back to the word of onkinomia. How do we steward these things? And so poverty theology is not as good. And I, I want to hit on some of that, that stuff because personally for me, that hits me. My mom did an incredible job at, at teaching me a lot of things about Jesus, and she did an incredible job at teaching me how to tithe. And I know that word in itself we'll talk about in a little bit here. But it was done in such a way that I'm thankful for, but I'm not exactly sure if we'll teach our kids exactly that way. Because my mom was just a person who became a Christian later in life and said, I'm going to follow whatever that preacher says and whatever that Bible says, and I'm going to just do it, right? And the Bible part's really good, but when you get the Bible and the preacher and sometimes and you don't really understand what is being said, sometimes you could be doing things religiously or legalistically and not understanding it. And so here's how it would go. Every once in a while, my mom had it. She would give us $10, and she would say this. One of those dollars, which is 10%, had better end up in that collection plate on Sunday. And I remember like, man, you know, better break that tin and put that dollar in there, right? I mean, because shoot, she's going to get me. God's going to get me. And um, one of the days, there's a Burger King next to our church. I'm like, I'm not putting this $10 in there. And I remember going to um, Burger King, and this one, a Whopper was 99 cents. And I got a Whopper, and I sat down, and I actually was going to pray before I ate it. And I thought, oh, man, I was supposed to give that dollar to the Lord. And like giving the Whopper to like a homeless guy. <laughs> And thinking like, you know, like the Lord would like that. And like, I was like, no, no, you know what, Lord, I should have given this to you. So I gave it, the whopper to the homeless guy. And then God said down from heaven, that's right, right? No, he didn't. He didn't. <laughs> but I just felt guilty and so forth. And, and, and then with that, what my mom would do is she would give. Paul says give according to what you have. It doesn't mean give into a point where you're in need, meaning now somebody else has to help you. So there would be moments where my mom being faithful and giving to the church and giving to God we would go like a week or two without lights. And she would say, God's going to provide. Trust me, God's going to provide. And I'd be like, he did provide. And then you gave it to the church, right? <laughs> and and, and that, 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 that kind of bothered me a little bit. Um, now, what I realized later in talking with my mom, she knew how to give. She didn't know how to steward her resources. And there's a difference with that. There's a difference, and we'll hit on that. And so what Paul is talking about sacrificially is meaning when it comes to giving, it should hurt a little bit. That it should hurt a little bit. There'd be so, there, there's something that you should be able to get that you're going, I can't get that because I'm trusting in the Lord and I'm giving. And, and, and in this, this, this line, once I make more, I'll give, that, that's not even true, statistically. The more people make, actually, the less they give. And guess what? It's still an equal sacrifice. It's not when you make more, it doesn't have to hurt to give. No, no, no. Now your income's increased, you sacrifice more. You still live below your means, but you're saying, okay, what could I have had, but I'm going to go without in order that I may give to the Lord and watch him bless you. So not only cheerfully giving, but also sacrificially giving. And so here, here is um, here's a story, another story I have, is I was with a buddy of mine one time, and we were doing some work in my backyard. He was doing some work in my backyard, and I was standing next to him. Um, and, and he said, hey, you know, I'm kind of on a spiritual drought and so forth. And I, this is probably six or seven years ago. And then so I asked him questions. Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? What's going on? And I said, you know what, man? Hey, I don't need to know amounts because I never really want to know and whatever. But do you, do you give? And he looked at me and he goes, man, no one's ever asked me that. And, then, and I, knew, I knew my friend and I knew financially he was, he was, he was doing okay. 
And, um, and he said, you know what? I never give. And I said, well, why? And he goes, because, man. And he goes, as weird as it is, he goes, I think I'm going to run out. <laughs> and he goes, I know I have more than enough. And I said, here's the deal. Start somewhere and grow and watch what the Lord will do with you. So I called him yesterday and said, yeah, I'm preaching on this. I'm, I'm going to share this. He goes, man, you share that. I share that with everybody I talk to because, man, I tell them all the time, that, that, that changed my life. I, no one ever even asked me that question before. And I told him, honestly, cowardly, I'd never really asked anybody that question before. You know, but when people have asked me, I've always been thankful for it. Um, and everything goes, I always think sacrificially it should hurt a little bit. And so give cheerfully and give sacrificially. The last point here is to give regularly, all right? So hold your spot in 2 Corinthians and then turn a few pages to the left and you're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Paul, talking to the same church in this third posture of giving regularly. And here's what he says. Chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so, also are you to, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. This point is just saying that um, there is a priority that's here. And so when it comes to giving regularly, that there, there, there's, um, when it comes to giving, here's how we normally give. Just people, not just Christians, people. We usually give sporadically, spontaneously, and then we usually give sparingly. And what Paul is giving at the principles when it comes to giving regularly is that there's a priority, the first of every week, meaning whatever you get, that immediately you set that aside. That you would set that aside. You and your wife, um, you as an individual, you set that aside and say, this is what I'm going to be able to give. I don't know what this is for you, but that's what the Lord is calling you to do. Um, and then, so there's a priority, and then there's a percentage that you, you decide, okay, what percentage of my income am I going to be able to give? And then there's progressive, meaning that this will grow, whether it's every year, whether it's every two years, every three years, four years, whatever it may be, but there's a priority, there's a percentage, and then it's progressive, that you have that there, and, and regular giving. What's, what's interesting is, what I saw and know about our church, is we did that survey a few weeks ago, and we're still pulling all those things together. But one of the things that we found out is 51, out of the 1,000 people that filled out this survey, 51% of the people in our church said that they give regular. And by regular, that means at least once a month. So what that, what that means is that, um, I'm not a math major, but 49% don't, I think. Um, so either uh, you just don't know or you just don't want to or whatever, but here's what Paul is saying. It should be regular. It should be cheerful, and it also should be something that is uh, done and sacrificially, that it should be sacrificial. So you have this regular giving and that you do. Now, let me, let me tell you why. I know this is, this is hard. Um, this is how we come to it, me and my wife. This particular topic in itself is always interesting come December. When we start talking about what we're going to give for the next year, because um, I'm right and Holly's wrong. And that's not true. That's not true always. And so <laughs> there is, and, and, and I, I want to share this for our struggle, is because uh, when I first started giving, it was so awesome that my buddy taught me how, how to give and so forth, and I was just a substitute teacher, and it really challenged me, and it was really helpful for me. When you get married, the way that your spouse approaches money and giving is much different than yours. It doesn't mean that it's not godly. Here's what I did. I looked at Holly, who approaches things with, I would say, first with stewardship and then faith. And I usually approach things with faith and then years later, stewardship. And, um, and you have to keep those things together. So I'd be like, oh, she, she ain't about it. What's, what's going on, right? And then she'd look at me like, he's not responsible, right? Um, 
But now that we understand each other, we understand God's word, it's, I wouldn't say it's easier, but it's something we always land at the same place. Whether you start with faith and then get stewardship, or you start with stewardship and you get faith. And, and so that, we, we, and we wrestle with that. Okay, what do we have? What are we supposed to do? How do we grow? How do we do this? What does that mean? Where are we going to go without? And it's, and it's hard because there's certain things that you probably are willing to go without that your spouse is not willing to go out without, right? And then if you're single, just don't get married. Um, and so <laughs> there, there's a, just joking, you totally should, it's amazing. It's just the struggle of saying, what does it mean to be cheerful, and what does it mean to be sacrificial, and what does it mean to, to give regularly? And I would say this, if you are married, make sure you do this with your spouse, right? Because I know there's a lot of people, like in my family, um, our family, Holly handles the finances in our family. And I know some of you guys are like, you're not a man. Probably not. And so, <laughs> but, but she just is way better at that than I am. But we make these decisions collectively, and then she organizationally does all this stuff. Um, you, you, that's something you, you, you can't, you don't even know if you're giving cheerfully or sacrificially or if you don't, if you don't know anything. So make sure that you, you, you do that with your spouse. If you're single, you do that before the Lord. You do it between you and the Lord and going, Lord, I want to be a cheerful giver. I want to be someone who gives sacrificially. Whatever that looks like, what can I go without, Lord? Challenge me. And then lastly, I want to be able to give regularly. Now, what, I, what, I, what I've done so far purposely is I've actually left out, if you go back to 2 Corinthians, I left out the first two verses um, in verse 8 and 9 um, here of chapter 8. And the reason is, so far, this has been an informative message. And I said to you before, it's not about informing you. It's about God transforming you. Because really, you guys don't even need the Holy Spirit. You could just start giving cheerfully, and you could start giving sacrificially, sacrificially and then you could start giving regularly, and you can go, all right, I'm good. The, the, the goal is not that you're good. The goal is that you would see that God is good and you would respond to that. And the only way that you can have transformation is through the power of the gospel. And that's what I think Paul is doing here. In fact, listen to these words in chapter 8, verses um, 8 and 9. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Here's what Paul is doing. Paul goes, I know you know the grace, because he's talking to people who are Christians. And whenever you begin to meditate on that word grace, whenever you get even close to that word grace, you sit back for a while. Because grace, by its very definition, is an undeserved gift, unmerited. You did nothing for it. And when you begin to think about God's grace, you begin to see what God does. And what Paul does is he begins to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and it begins to apply it to the area of our economics, of our finance, and of our pocket. And it begins to change the game. Here's what I mean. Um, he, could have, he could have gone at the emotion, right? He could have said, hey, there's some poor people in Jerusalem, and they're going to die if you don't get, in fact, here's some pictures, right? And he could have just showed pictures, and be like, and people would, have, people would have given. They would have acted. They would have been far more on the emotion and not on the heart. Or he could have said, I'm an apostle. How many of you guys have written half of the New Testament, Right? And, and I, you know, I speak directly to God. How come you don't give? How come you don't give? And he could, have, he could have just gone straight to the will, but he doesn't. Because you know why? Those things don't last. When people guilt you to do things, when you guilt other people to do things, they might do it for the moment. They might, you know how it is when someone's pushy on sales and you just can't get them out of your face. You buy something, you'll never buy that product again. You'll never buy it again. And God said, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm trying to give you because God himself didn't tithe. He didn't give you a tenth. He gave you all of himself. Exactly what Paul is saying. He says, don't you remember the grace, this gift, that he who was rich, right, God who had everything, he wasn't in the top 1%, he was it. He was the standard. But he became poor. How did he become poor? 
He became poor because he took on flesh, and not just took on flesh, but he put himself in the lowly of lowly position to die on the cross and a sinner's death to pay our debt. You see, all of us have debt. Many of us have college debt that we'll be paying off. Many of us have a car note. Many of us have a mortgage. We have some sort of debt that we have a plan that we plan on paying. Many of us have our kids' debt that we have a plan that we're going to pay this stuff off. There could be no, there's no financial advisor. There's no class. There's no anybody that you can meet with to help you pay off the debt that God paid for you. There's no payment plan for the cross. And God set it up that way that you may be freely, freely receive the grace in which he's given us so that we who were spiritually poor, Paul says, we were poor, we were in poverty, that we may now, in our poverty, now be rich now in Christ Jesus. And he says, now when you begin to meditate on that, now look at what it means to be a cheerful giver. You know why? Because you begin to see on the cross, God himself was a cheerful giver. Because Jesus says that the only way he endured the cross was because of the joy that was set before him meaning what it would take for him in order to receive his children, to receive the children of God into his family. That when we begin to look at the gospel, we begin to understand what it means to be a sacrificial giver because we see on the cross that Jesus Christ physically sacrificed. He went without. He was ripped apart. He bled in order that we may be forgiven of our sins. And then we see what it's like to be someone who gives regularly because Jesus says this wasn't a one-time act. This just wasn't something I just threw in there. But I'm with you um, forever. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And his grace is sufficient in our life, past, present, as well as future. And so in that, now we begin in our own practice to grow in that area as we begin to look intently into the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? The gospel brings transformation. And so in, in light of that, what I want to be able to do in this, this last few minutes is just practically ask, um, answer some of the most commonly asked questions. And so with that, the first question is, what if I can't give? I think that's a real question. Um, but let me deal with this first. Most, very, very few people can't give anything, just so you know. Um, there's a lot of us, we have to look at our own lives and how we spend and our, going back to what I talked about my mom, how like she would say, I knew how to give, but I didn't know how to steward my finances. Some of you really didn't understand how to steward your finances and understand how to live below your means. It's always interesting to me when people are, you know, talking on their iPhone 6, checking out Netflix, going, I just don't know, I don't have it. And it's like, oh. Um, and so that's, <laughs> That's one side of it, and that's kind of humorous, but there's another side where people just don't have it, right? It's interesting enough, the people who don't have it oftentimes are the ones who come to you and go, what can I do, right? I told you, I didn't grow up with a lot, right, at all, and for some reason, somehow, we always got fed, we always had, always had clothes, we always loved each other, we had, there was, you know, I never felt poor until somebody told me I was poor, you know, um, and so, and, and I wasn't really poor, they were just loaded. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and so, but if you're like, I need that help. I do need that financial help. I can't give. This, we're your pastors and we're your church. This is your church. Let us come alongside you, right? Um, so take that connect card, fill it out. I need help. Put your name, email address. I need financial counseling, so forth, and we will disciple you. That's what this issue is all about. Second question. How much should I tithe? Okay, this is a, a longer answer because that word tithe is like used incorrectly a lot of times because we usually say, you know, a tithe means a tenth, by the way. And people say, I tithe 2%. <laughs> and I get it, I get it. They went to U of A. So that makes all sorts of sense. So, okay. And so, so, so it's been a while. 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 They're dominating us and everything, so I got to get them in the pulpit. So, 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 
So in the, in, the, in the Old Testament, you had God give a tithe. And in fact, in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, here's what he says about a tithe. Every tithe that the land, whether, uh, whether of the seed or the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. A tithe meant a tenth. Whatever you have that you would give to the Lord, immediately a tenth. And then on top of that, God would, would have three tithes. And so there would be a tithe that would go to the priests or the Levites. There would be a tithe that would go to the ceremonial festivals and so forth. And there would also be a tithe that would go to the ministry of the widows and the poor and so forth. Um, uh, that percentage-wise, it came up to around 23% of your income would be going away to, a, to, to giving and so forth, which is a lot. Um, and so on top of that, um, God, like, mandated this. And in fact, he began to chastise his people in Malachi chapter, chapter 3. Uh, and here's what he says in, in Malachi chapter 3. Will man rob God? Yet yeah, you were robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with the curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to test, says the Lord of the hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you blessing until there is no more need. He's, telling, he's challenging them on one and saying, you're not giving. Watch, watch you give and see what would happen. Okay, on top of a tithe, they had a thing called the first fruits. So the tithe was the objective amount, and then the first fruit was how you do it. And that was the first that came in, whatever they may be, you took that apart and you would, you would aside and you would give it to the Lord. And then on top of that, they had voluntary or what is called free will offerings. And that was out of the goodness of your heart that you would continue to give. In fact, there's a story in Exodus chapter 36, if you want to go read it, verses 4 through 7, later, where they're building a tabernacle after giving tithes, first fruits, and then they're giving so much that the builders come back to Moses and like, there's so much silver, there's so much gold, we have more than enough stuff. Could you tell the people to stop giving? And so Moses gives up the people and he says, stop giving. And he, and he told them, I restrain from giving, right? Don't give anymore. No pastor has ever said that. Um, <laughs> Moses, Moses said it. And so you had this in the Old Testament. And so in the New Testament, you have people who would say, well, in the New Testament, we don't really hear them talking about tithing explicitly. And you know what? They're right. They're right. In the New Testament, it doesn't explicitly talk about a tithe. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, you have Jesus impl implicitly talking to the Pharisees saying, woe to you, because you, you've, you've neglected the weightier things. I mean, you, he says you've tithed, but you haven't cared about justice. He says you should have cared about both. He doesn't say you should have only cared about justice. He says you should have cared about both. That's, that's, that's about it. People say in the New Testament, we have grace giving. And sometimes those who say grace giving say, we don't have to tithe, so I'm free of it. I just think it's interesting when you get the stats here. Um, so 23% they would give in the Old Testament when they were under God's law, looking forward to what God would do in his redemptive plan. We get to now see in Christ Jesus the work that God is doing in our life and in this world clearly through his scripture and through his grace. So we have grace. We have something better, as the writer of Hebrews says. Something better than what Abraham, he looked far to it, what Abraham looked for, what David looked, we have it in Christ. But the national average of Christians who give, um, it's 23% in the Old Testament law, and now we have grace, and the national average is 2%. Is law more compelling than grace? Absolutely not. So it's a long way to answer the question of, I don't think tithe is mandated in the New Testament. I think we can use it as a principle. And here's why. Everything that God begins to talk about, Jesus begins to talk about in the New Testament, he ups the ante. He goes, I know, you know, you heard you shouldn't murder. What if you have hatred in your heart? That's like murder. You shouldn't commit adultery like, I haven't slept with anybody's wife. Hey, but you've lusted in your heart. That's adultery. And so he ups the ante in every, every way. And so when it comes to giving, I would say, listen, a tithe is not the ceiling, it's the floor.
And it's something you can use as a principle. And if you go, should I just start at 10%? Listen, from your pastor to you, start somewhere and grow. If you're at 2%, go to 4%. If you're at 4%, so forth and so forth. If you've never given, given, start giving and trusting in the Lord to be able to provide. And let the grace of God and the spirit of God, trust in God. Don't trust in me. Trust in God in those areas. All right. Should I give uh, on according to gross or net earnings? <laughs> and so that's like what my paycheck says, and it was actually my banking account, right? Um, go before the Lord with that, and then choose wisely. No pastor guilt or anything like that. Next. That was easy. Um, where should I give? In the New Testament, what we see in the churches, first and foremost, in the New Testament churches, you give to those who are laboring and the preaching and the teaching and the shepherding. So your local church. That is where you see the mission of God's kingdom primarily that is being uh, proclamated and demonstrated in the world around you. And as a part of a church, you give to that. But then I also think that you should give to other organizations as well, too. You should just give. And you should give to campus ministries. You should give to, to a bunch of places. My wife and I, we have been deeply, deeply uh, uh, impacted by campus ministries and, and other ministries that we feel like we should be a part of and we should support. And so you have to figure out what that means for you. Living in Tempe, I just think it's a no-brainer what the thousands of kids are here. No one church or multiple churches can really reach a campus, and so it's like we got to be able to support some of these ministries that are around here financially with our time, our resources, and our efforts. And so you start with the local church, and then you just give to organizations and so forth. Just bless people, right? If you're like, I don't know what, just start blessing, start giving to an organization that you believe the kingdom of God is working through. What is above and beyond? Above and beyond is usually a phrase that we use to say above your normal general offering that you continue to increase and go, where else can I give? Sometimes that's in your local church. There's a campaign. So like for us, we have a building campaign that's going on. Um, some of you may or may know, not know, but like two years ago, we started a campaign on um, buying these facilities. And so it's a million-dollar campaign, and we're about close to $600,000 in the way. We got about $400,000 to go, and we, we got we, we to get race on this because we got one more year. And so we need a shot in the arm. Um, uh, we need money um, to, to put towards that, and we're going to address that later um, in a couple of months. Um, another above and beyond could be campus ministry, just something else where you're just saying, God, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly honoring you. Um, how should I give? And that's usually, you know, do I write a check? You know, do, why don't, come we don't pass the plates? We'll get that. How come we don't pass? Here's why we don't pass the plates. I hate the plates being passed. And that's not just I do. Philosophy and all the redemption congregations, we pass the plates on special offerings. And usually those special offerings are when the money is going completely outside of ourselves. Um, we put the boxes in the back um, for a reason. I just, we just feel like it's, it's good for us. And so when it comes to um, how people write checks, people take cash and they put it in an envelope and then they write their names and stuff on that and they put it in the boxes. And then one of the most common ways, and this is the way that my wife and I use it, is it's online. There's this thing called online giving. Um, that makes life way better, like everything else online, it seems like now. And, and with that, um, it, it's just something you can set up, and so it's reoccurring. Now, hear me. Make sure you do, if you're married, make sure you decide this with your spouse. Um, and so it's not like, oh, yeah, we give sacrificially. Well, well, really? How do you know? I don't know. She just takes care of it, though, right? And it's just like, 
Make sure you guys are making this decision together. Um, one of the things Jason put together for us this morning that I think will be helpful is we started, um, we didn't start, we start, have a new way to give online um, that out of all the congregations, Tempe is starting, and so hopefully we do it well. And well doesn't mean we have more money because clearly Gilbert's always going to shatter us, but that's, a, that's, a, that's, not, that's not here and there. And, and so, so it's 77977. If you just text there, Take your phone out and you text there. It's going to send you a link that you can press to, and then you can go from there. Or you can go to redemptionaz.com. I still believe that online giving, especially for us, is, is just a, a better way and a more sufficient and efficient way to be able to give. But that's, that's, that's how you can do it. 77977, text it to it. And, and if you want to do it now, do it now. But I don't like you pulling out your phones. But, um, but uh, whatever. And so with that, that's, that's it. Um, when it comes to our rhythms of giving. But more importantly than how you give, what to give, who to give, you gotta understand the person of it. It's gotta come through and flow through the death and life and resurrection of Jesus and all that he's given to you. Oikonomia, God is the one who has given us all things and we are steward of those things, so we trust God with them and acting in faith. And I would challenge you guys, in the same way that I've been challenged in my life, Start with obedience and watch the blessing and the joy and the flowing of the Lord to follow as you give sacrificially, cheerfully, and as you give regularly. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great grace that's been extended to us in Christ. For the wisdom of your word, the guidance of your son Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and the love of you, Father, that's been displayed to us in the death and the resurrection of your son, Jesus. As we look at these rhythms, Lord, help us in our communities, in our friends, in our family, to learn how to rest in Christ, to learn how to listen through your word and prayer, to learn how to give, Lord, and be givers instead of takers in our life and everything that we do. God, we pray that you would uh, continue to communicate to us and challenge us, that we would trust you in faith. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.